Morning. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. Excuse me, I catch my breath. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. <clears throat> now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw, saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wives and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring the ark, you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. Word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt. Uh, that's Noah's story, uh, a supernatural story. But you know, God is still doing supernatural things today. And Matt, you're one of those. And so thank you for reading this morning. My name is Ted. I uh, get to stand up here every once in a while to give uh, JJ a, a breather. And it's my pleasure to be here this morning talking about this story, this ancient uh, story. We're being uh, studying Genesis for a few weeks now. Uh, in the beginning is kind of our theme as we go through it. It's an important uh, passage of Scripture. It's an ancient text written thousands of years ago to a people we don't know a lot about. And, uh, but we get the opportunity to understand as best we can why it was written and how it impacts our today. And so we're going to try to do that this morning. In the beginning, there was creation, 
And part of that creation was uh, the creation of humans, image bearers of God. And uh, who's an image bearer of God here today? Just raise your hand. Uh, doesn't that feel, you're an image bearer of God. That's amazing to think about. You are a special creation of God. And when God created humankind, at the end of his creation, he said, it is very good. It is very good. But as we found out these last couple weeks, and as we all know personally, uh, sin entered into the world. And with sin, brokenness. And with brokenness, separation from God. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden because of sin. And they were separate from the presence of God. Last week we found out that only one generation in, the sons of Cain and Abel, I mean of Adam and Eve, were Cain and Abel. And we found that there was murder in the first generation of humankind after Adam and Eve. That disrupts my soul. That, that shakes me up a little bit. Because sin has a way of putting us in a downward spiral that's not good. And uh, that is what happened to humankind. Although we find hope along the way. Uh, in uh, Genesis 4, where we were last week about Cain and Abel, the last verse of that chapter says, At that time, men and women began to call on the name of the Lord. So in the midst of that mess, people were starting to call on the name of the Lord. Then we get to Genesis chapter 5, which is a genealogy, and it's one of those head-scratching passages because it talks about these uh, generation after generation, and, and people were living over 900 years old. I can't even comprehend that. Uh, the, the longest of those, that genealogy, was Methuselah. Uh, do you remember how long he lived? 969 years. Anybody here want to live 969 years? Oh, you do. Good for you. 969 years. But in the middle of that genealogy was someone named Enoch. And he's, uh, Enoch was known as one who walked with the Lord, and then he was no more. A, a sign of hope, a glimmer of hope in the midst of this mess. So never forget, God does not fully give up on his creation. God will never give up on you. We live in a new time. Jesus came, and he made all things new, and he's established his kingdom. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. So we get to Noah, uh, Genesis chapter 6, as Matt read it. And we read that the world, humankind, was overcome with wickedness. And the first four verses of Genesis chapter 6, it's another head-scratching passage where it talks about 
the sons of God marrying the sons of man and, and their offspring were Nephtalim. And there's all kinds of opinions what that is all about. And guess what? I'm not going to give you the answer because I don't know. <laughs> uh, come and talk to me and I can refer you to a podcast that gives four possibilities. But uh, that might be something you're interested in or not. But it was an ancient document, Genesis, written to an ancient people. It was not written to us. It was written for us. And so we have to do our best to understand the people it was written to so then we can find what God has for us today. And that takes a little bit of work. And sometimes it ends with a question mark. And the Nephilim has a bit of a question mark for me. So I get to skip beyond the first four verses of Genesis 6. And Matt started in verse 5. In uh, verses 5 through 7, let me read them real quickly again. Genesis 6, 5 through 7. If you could put that up on the screen. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. The world was a bad place. Last week we saw how bad it got with the murder of siblings. And, and in fact, by the time we get to Noah, this evil had impacted everyone except Noah. I shudder to think of the evil that was on the earth at that time. It, it tells us that the majority opinion was evil all the time. That's evil humankind had become. And it got to the point, it tells us, that God was grieved that he even ever created human beings. Those who were created in his image to bring him glory were the very ones who were now bringing him pain. Uh, one of the churches I pastored, I remember the nursery, was decorated in the Noah theme. Have any of you ever seen a, a nursery decorated in the Noah theme? So there was an ark and, and, and animals, and even animals had smiles on their faces. And there was uh, Noah and his wife, and they had great big smiles and their sons, and they were gently ushering the animals onto the ark. But you know what? <laughs> That's not the way it was. The earth was so full of evil that God himself grieved that he'd even created humankind in the first place. Uh, so what do I do with that? 
because um, I know evil. That was one thing that God was trying to protect Adam and Eve from, was knowing evil. And they rebelled, and they knew evil. They sinned. And the Bible tells us that we have all sinned. And we all know evil. And we live in a world where there's evil. You don't have to read far or look far to realize that there's evil in this world. Uh, The situation in the Gaza just rips my heart apart to think of all the discord and the fighting and the disappointment and the anger and all of it. Evil. And so what do we do with evil? Uh, I have to mourn over evil. I'm going to give us an opportunity right now for about 30 seconds just to close our eyes and go inward before the Lord. And let's just mourn for a moment evil. You know, sometime in life when you confront something you just don't know what to do with it, it's very healthy just to stop and take it to the Lord in that discord and that tension and give it to him. So in the midst of this evil, God saw a glimmer of hope. His name was Noah. Let me read verses 8 and 9 again. Uh, tells us a little about this man, Noah. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. Um, but Noah, let's go down to 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The next verse, please. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And Noah had three sons. Noah found favor with God. When God looked at Noah, he saw a righteous man. And now, uh, sometimes we can in our own head, think of a righteous man as being someone that's kind of holier than thou, that have their arm length at us and and say, you're not like me, poor you. But but Noah was righteous in that he lived rightly. And living rightly is a good thing. He, He was blameless because Noah chose to walk with God 
instead of walking in the majority opinion, which was evil. He walked in faith with God, and Noah was able to overcome his environment, that environment of evil, and he's able to walk a journey of long obedience. When I was in third grade, I made a decision that changed my life. Um, it was the first summer that my parents let me go to a Christian camp. And uh, I grew up in Utah, and there weren't many Christian camps around. And this one was at Timpanogos. Uh, there's a cave called Timpanogos. And uh, we gathered there. I don't know how many were there. Uh, but we, there was not a campground. There were just a bunch of tents. And many of the tents were very rustic and had holes in them. In fact, I remember having rain and having rain drip through those holes right on my sleeping bag. And there wasn't really a place to get a shower. And so we were a bunch of kids, smelly kids, running around at this Christian camp. I remember just before my parents came to pick me up, I thought I should make myself look better. So I put my head under the tap and to wash my hair. And the tap came right out of a mountain spring. And this was uh, in the high mountains. And it was so cold, it gave me a headache that lasted for some time. That's what I remember. But uh, there was a speaker at this camp, I still remember. And uh, the first night he spoke and he gave an invitation for salvation. And uh, the second night he spoke, and he give, gave an invitation for rededication uh, for those who had uh, lost their fire for God. And the third night, on Wednesday night, he spoke about the importance of uh, being a Christian and marrying a Christian perhaps someday in the future. He talked about, to a bunch of little kids, the importance of not being unequally yoked, is what he said. Um, and then at the end of the service, he invited us to come forward if we wanted to pay, kind of pound the stake in the ground and make the declaration, I'm not going to become romantically involved in, with someone who's not a Christian. Here I was, a little third grader, and I remember going up to the front and making that commitment to the Lord. Now, that wasn't an easy commitment to keep for me because I grew up in a little coal mining town in the middle of Utah, and my family was the only family that weren't Mormons. And then uh, when I got to high school, it was only my cousin and I were Christians. And you can't date your cousin very easily, even though it was Utah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I could say that one because I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, as I grew up, went through high school, I remembered that night that commitment I made. To, to be able to keep that commitment, it, 
it meant I had to live a long obedience. Now, living out that commitment was not easy. It was not without struggle. But pointing back and remembering and setting myself aside for something that was more important made a difference in my life. I would pray that the right one would come along often. And uh, so I graduated high school and I went to the University of Utah and I thought, oh, there's gonna be girls there. <laughs> girls I can date. And I got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ and there were girls, but none of them really fit my fancy. Then I graduated as a mechanical engineer and, and decided to go on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. And do you know where the first campus I was assigned? Western Washington University. And do you know who one of the first people I met? Carolyn. And wow. And here we are 42 years later. I was 23 when I got married. And I was nine when I made that commitment. Those years required a long obedience. And the story of Noah is about a long obedience. And the journey we are called to live with Jesus is about a long obedience. Uh, I switched it around. I skipped my notes a little bit. So let's go back to the one that says a long obedience. Um, here's some of the elements of a long obedience. You have to have, have a motive beyond yourself. There has to be a reason. Uh, and uh, God's will and God's ways are a good motive. Placing God above self. Uh, a long obedience is not easy because it's often contrary to culture. There's a tension with the status quo. Um, it involves struggle, but if you've already pounded a stake in the ground, so to speak, if you've already made a decision you can look back upon, it's very helpful. Uh, a long obedience requires that you live past the moment. And finally, it involves sacrifice. Now, in order to live a, a long obedience, you're on a long journey. And Noah was on a long journey. Um, verses 11 through 22 tell us of that journey. And let me read that for us once again. Uh, let's go to, okay, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, 
I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, which is about 450 feet, if you can get your mind around that. It's, back, it's football season, one and a half football fields. Um, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Uh, make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, mil- middle, and upper decks. And I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under heaven. Every creature that has uh, had breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them with you. Two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you to them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Uh, God was asking a lot of Noah. Can you imagine? God told Noah to get ready because he was going to destroy the world because of its wickedness. And uh, later on, we'll look at a verse that tells us the reason he did that is because he realized that God was holy and that God was awesome and he obeyed God out of a holy reverence to who God was. Now, we believe that uh, Noah lived in Mesopotamia, which is a long ways from an ocean or a sizable lake. It's desert. And it's difficult to imagine how this uh, message from God sounded to Noah. I mean, he was being asked to do something that he knew nothing about. He'd never done it before. Uh, He'd never experienced it before. Logic and comfort and majority opinion and another of Uh, many other arguments would have all been against Noah following God's command and God's instructions. But Noah listened to God above all the static of life and all the people that he lived amongst. Now, Noah, uh, doubtless, had a lot of things to do on his own. Uh, He had three boys. Noah was 500 years old before he had his first boy. Uh, he probably had a number of hobbies that he'd picked up. He probably had a vocation that he was dealing with. He, he, I don't know what his life was, but building an ark would demand his all. He had to surrender all, his time and his effort to build a boat. And uh, he was building something he knew nothing about, Never seen an ocean-going ship like this. Um, 
I don't think he had any experience even in boat building. He had to have been pretty clever to put together what he put together. But I don't think he had any easy access to building supplies. Not a lot of workforce to help him get it done. In fact, I, I believe that one of the greatest acts of faith in the story of the Bible was when Noah cut down that first tree. We don't have record of that, of course, but we're okay to use our sanctified imagination on this story a bit. The, the first tree he cut down and saying, okay, I'm in it. I'm in it. Noah was warned by God about things still in the future. Um, we really don't know if there had been rain on earth before because there hadn't been rainbows before. So perhaps, I don't know, the, the earth was given moisture by dew before this. I don't know. It's one of those things, mysteries, I don't know. But uh, Noah had certainly never seen a flood of this proportion. Uh, so, but Mo Noah's response to God's command was an act of faith. He had nothing to go on except God's warning and God's command. But that was enough for his long obedience. In Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, it gives us a glimpse of the motive behind Noah. And let's look at that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says this. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by. It tells us that Noah's motive for obedience was reverent fear. Um, I think reverent awe might be a good interpretation there of knowing who God was and who he was not. Noah's motive of building the ark was a uh, motivated, it was an act of reverent awe of God. The elevation of the importance of God. And he treat, treated the, the command of God with great awe and, and great respect. And he was willing to set his own comfort aside for something more important, God's will and God's ways. God and Noah's relationship with God was more important to Noah than self and what others would think. And so I have to pause at this point in this story and ask, what's most important for me and the motives and the way I choose to live life? Noah was an example of uh, perseverance. By faith, he went forward on this project that was bigger than him. And the Bible does not tell us this. But people a lot smarter than I am 
think that building the ark took somewhere between 50 and 100 years. That's a long obedience. Noah made a decision to follow the leading of God. And his decision not only impacted the day he made the decision, but it also impacted the tomorrows after he made the decision. Um, I wonder, and it's okay to wonder as we study the Bible, uh, I wonder... I wonder, uh, did Noah wake up some days and not want to build the ark? Did he get tired of the ridicule that he was enduring by those people that were filled with wickedness? And I think so. I think some days he probably didn't want to. And some days... Every day it would have been easier not to, but he continued on. And again, why did he continue on? Because of his commitment to God, it was born out of holy reverence and awe of God. God was more important than he was. He submitted himself to something bigger than himself. So I don't think Noah had to get up every morning and say, oh, I need to make a decision once again if I'm going to follow God's command or not. He pounded the stake in the ground. I think he looked back. He said, yeah, I'm going to follow through on what I've already decided before God. His was a long obedience. You know, friends, uh, We need to make a declaration of obedience to God today that will impact our tomorrows. I guarantee as one that has lived a while that uh, making a declaration of love and commitment to obedience to God that is going to impact my tomorrow is a lot easier not made every day. Uh, This was not in my notes, but uh, in third grade, I became a shoplifter. It was kind of popular in my elementary school to uh, steal pre-sweetened Kool-Aid and drink it straight. It was powder, so it was quite a horrible experience. (laughs) But it's what everybody was doing. And I remember my classmates doing it and me saying no. And I remember the day when I said yes. And I was so miserable after that. First of all, it wasn't worth it. But isn't that what sin is? It's not worth it. But then the feeling of uh, I shouldn't have 
I knew better. And so I remember, boy, I learned a lot in third grade, didn't I? <laughs> I remember making a decision right there. Uh, I'm not going to shoplift. It's not worth it. And do you know what's fascinating? I can go in a store today and I'm not even tempted to shoplift because it was important that I pounded the stake in the ground and made the decision. So now every time I go into a store, I don't have to go, oh, am I going to shoplift today or not? The decision has been made. It is healthy and good to make the decision to follow Jesus and to follow Jesus for the long journey and not to have to make that decision afresh every day to pick up where you were and to move forward from the previous day. Um, but the long obedience, something happens along the way, most of the time, is persecution. Uh, expect it. Have you found it's easy to be different than those around you? It's not. Have, have you found it's easy to live by a different set of values than those around you? It's not. Mm. Have you found that a long obedience is easy? Oh, really, it's not. But there's always hope in that, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Some of the best advice that my uh, father gave me, it probably wasn't when I was in third grade, but it was maybe when I got close to middle school. He said this, and you know, that's when parents are worrying about your kid's behavior because they're getting a little bit more freedom. And he had this talk with me. He said, Ted, anyone can smoke and drink and swear and treat women badly. And it takes someone special not to do those things. That's what he told me. And that's good advice. It's good advice to live by and it's good advice to pass on. He probably should have started by saying, Ted, I see in you someone special. And then told me the rest because it got a little bit legalistic in my mind. But I can tell you, you are special. You are an image bearer of God. We've been learning that in Genesis. You are set apart for something better. And we're to live to be the people we are. And when we make the commitment with Christ, we have the power to do it. Amen? The Holy Spirit comes in the depths of who we are, and we have the power to do it. Noah, I'm sure, was persecuted for being different. Can you imagine the verbal assault? Hey, Noah, where's the water? Hey, Noah, can you build a boat for me like that when you're finished with that one for you? Again, that's not in the Bible. That's in Ted. But Noah was different. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 
Verse 5, if you could put that on the screen, it says this. Uh, if he did not spare the ancient world when he, he being God, when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others. See that description of Noah? He was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of doing what is right. He was living rightly. Um, his life was characterized by living rightly as opposed to the rest of the people being evil. There was no way his long obedience was easy. If you obey Jesus, if you live rightly, you will be misunderstood and you might be persecuted. I don't know. Elevating God above all else will cost you something. It costs something. But there are some universal role, uh, excuse me, universal rules we find in the Bible. In Job chapter four, verse eight, this is in the Old Testament. Here's one of those universal rules. As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who so trouble will reap it. That's a universal rule. And there's another one in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18. It says this, a wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. When I read the story of Noah and the destruction of the world, it brings me sorry, sorrow. It brings me sorrow of those who were so overcome by evil that they chose to reject the words of a righteous preacher, Noah, one whose words and whose actions were matching. Um, and there were consequences. In Genesis 7, verses 21 through 23, it tells us the consequences. Every living uh, thing that was moved on land perished. Birds and livestock, wild animals, and all the creatures that swam uh, over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath of life in it uh, died. And every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creation that moved among the ground and the birds were wiped out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. And again, I have to mourn. They were wiped out. And the way, reason they're wiped out is because um, God is a just God. And God, who is a loving, just God, uh, wouldn't be just if he didn't execute justice. 
if evil was not judged, he wouldn't be a just God. So uh, Noah chose to live a life of faith, a long obedience. He walked with God in holy reverence. He was different because he determined that obeying God and living rightly for God was worth the cost. Peer pressure did not throw him. He, obe- he obediently persevered, and he received a prize. Remember those uh, words of wisdom from Proverbs? In Genesis 9, chapter one, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Noah's prize at the end was God's blessing, God's presence, and God's purpose. His long obedience was rewarded. It was worth it. Now let me... Finish this up. Noah's uh, lived in an evil day. Lot, and we'll get to Lot in the book of Genesis, he lived in an evil place, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible tells us uh, that the earth will be an evil place as we get to the end of days. And when that is, I don't know but we're one day closer than we were yesterday. Uh, I learned in engineering the law, uh, the second law of thermodynamics, that everything's running from order to disorder. And I see that as being the case with evil. Evil takes us from a place of order to disorder, and that's what's happening to the world. We have the opportunity to learn from the story of Noah. He lived by faith. He he lived a life of holy reverence before God. He He learned what was right using God as a standard. And he lived a long obedience. Now, our hope does not lie in an ark. Our hope lies in a Savior. Um, our, Our choice is very similar to that of Noah. Are we going to live the easy way or are we going to live the right way? Are we going to live the easy way or the right way? Now, the story of Noah and the story of Jesus were similar but different. In the story of Noah, God destroyed the wicked and he saved the righteous. And the story of the gospel is God saving the wicked and the righteous one, Jesus Christ, died. Isn't that amazing? While we were still sinners, it tells us in Romans 5, God loved us. I'm overcome with the awe of that. Jesus came to make a difference. He came to take the weight of sin and punishment on himself 
so that me, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that's me, might be saved. So now I can say, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you're more important than me, and I want to live for you and not me. And Jesus came and made that possible. And then as believers of Jesus, the very Holy Spirit of the Trinity comes and lives in the depths of who we are, and he empowers us to live a life of a long obedience. So it's not me trying, it's me trusting in my Savior. So let's review those elements of a long obedience once again. There has to be a motive beyond myself, and that's God. It's the Trinity, it's his love, it's his provision, it's his worth, it's his might, it's his holiness. But I have to realize it's not going to be easy because it's contrary to culture. And there will be struggle, but the decision should already be made. I'm his. It's living beyond the moment for him, for eternity, for the commitment, for it's living beyond the moment, which involves sacrifice, joyous sacrifice for the one who loved me and the one who I love. And it's Jesus making it all possible. Not me, but him. Let's pray. I don't know where you are in your situation in life or where you are in your walk with God. But the good news is God knows you fully and completely. And God is the pursuer of you because he loves you. If you've never made that pound in the ground statement of wanting Jesus to come and take you, all of you, your sin, and uh, enter into forgiveness and relationship with Jesus, today is the day. And I invite you to pound in that stake. And you can do that in prayer. And just in the silence of where you are, just tell God that you know wickedness because you're a sinner. And you need a Savior. And you know that Savior has come and died on the cross for your sin, Jesus.
Just tell him thank you. Ask him to forgive your sins. And to make you, the inside of your spirit, brand new. Thank him for the forgiveness of sin. And commit yourself to a long obedience of love with him. Thank him for uh, knowing you and loving you and saving you and having a purpose and plan for you and eternity with him that instead of getting worse and worse, we'll just get better and better. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, uh, it's good to tell somebody. And uh, there'll be people up here after the service that would love to hear you uh, tell them. I'd love to hear you tell me. Uh, but also, I just want to go ahead and give you an opportunity to raise your hand if you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah. Yes, put your hand on down. Perhaps you're made that commitment with Jesus, but you've been struggling. And you feel as though that every day it's been uh, a battle to decide what to do, if it's going to be rightly or wrongly. And you need to once again pound a stake in the ground and say, Jesus, I want to live for something bigger than me being you. And I need your help to do that. Just open your heart and your life to him. Take that step, step of faith. And on that, uh, invite the Holy Spirit to once again overwhelm your heart and your will. And make a declaration of long obedience to Him. Now, if you felt this morning you needed to make that declaration once again, I encourage you to tell somebody about it. And go ahead and just raise your hand where you are. And saying, I'm in it for a long obedience. I'm in this for the long obedience, for the long haul, for the long journey. And perhaps you've had that as being your mantra and that's your life and you just once again today just as a matter of praise to raise your hand and say Jesus I'm yours go ahead and raise your hand too Jesus I'm yours
And Father, I thank you for the good news of grace. For your love, for your pursuit, for your forgiveness, for your empowerment, for your directing, for your living with and walking with. And Father, we commit now ourselves to you and instead of trying harder, empower us to trust more. In Jesus' name, amen.